My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are at and whatever time it is you are listening to this. I thank you for joining us today on the Faith 168 podcast. My name is Christian. I'm one of your hosts, and uh, we have Robbie with us today as well. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. Uh, and we're, we're excited to begin this podcast uh, and, and look at scripture uh, in depth talk about current events that are going on in the Christian viewpoint to answer these tough theological questions that people bring up. And let me tell you, Robbie, uh, we've we've really kind of made a splash on, on Facebook. We might have a lot of theological questions that we can answer if uh, some of the naysayers would just give us some legitimate questions to answer, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. But we're glad to have you here this morning. We're going to start out uh, this very first episode talking about the book of James. And so if you listened to our intro, uh, we described kind of what we would be looking at in the book of James. And what I like about the book of James, as I'm studying it with my brother Rob here, is that when we read it together, we have two different sets of notes and I'm not talking about, yeah, the the uh, obvious that, you know, he has his sets of notes and I have my sets of notes. But we have two different viewpoints uh, mm. that come together and create a fuller view of the book of James, which is great when you find a book of the Bible to study with a friend, with a brother or sister in Christ. You'll find that they may see something that you never thought about while reading that scripture. And I'm just so blessed to have my brother Rob, that as we read this book and we discuss it together, that I see that he sees these different aspects of the book of James that I haven't seen. And it opens up the book for me so much more. And we want to uh, invite you to, to do the same. As you read through the book of James, we want to invite you to message us and let us know some of the things that you see, some of the the aspects of James that maybe we're not discussing that you would like to hear more about. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the book of James today. Uh, Brother Rob, will you go ahead and just read for us? Absolutely. And before we do that, let's let's just say a a quick prayer to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in this uh, endeavor. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this day and for this uh, the blessing of being able to talk to um, to your faithful followers as as well as those who may not believe yet uh, about your word. God, I thank you for my brother Chris uh, Christian, and and I thank you for uh, this podcast. God, I pray that as we open your word today, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us to, into all truth. That you'd help us to see the truth of your word and be able to apply that word to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to start in James chapter 1, and I've got the easy part. I've just got to read one verse for you guys. It's James chapter 1, verse 1. So uh, the Word of God says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. And so I'm reading out of the, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, and my brother Christian is going to be reading out of the, uh, the New King James and what I'm going to bring out first is about this, uh, the phrase to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Now, I'm not going to get in too deep in this because there's some people that have uh, many different ideas about this, but some, some concrete evidence we have as, as truths, what this means for us and, and how we can apply this to our lives. I want to get into to depth on. And so I want to show you first uh, what happens in Acts chapter 6. So Acts chapter 6. Of course, the book of Acts is a uh, a book of the history of the early church, and in the in the first uh, little bit of the the book of Acts, the first little bit of the the history of the church, we see that uh, that people are ex- expecting the apostles to do uh, many many things. They're expecting the apostles. Uh, to not only preach the word and to be people of prayer, but they're also expecting them to uh, to handle the money and to make decisions and to uh, pass out um, food and 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 take care of the needs of the people. And uh, the apostles are like, wait a minute, there, there there's too much. Um, there, this is too much for us to handle. We're supposed to be about God's word and about prayer. That, that's what God has called us to be. Um, as Paul would later say, that the the Church of Jesus Christ is like a body; uh, that there it's made up of uh, of many different parts. Some of us are going to be mouthpieces for God, while others are hands or, or feet that are are going to be all about action. Uh, and so, so what the apostles said is, that, look, we've got some other guys here. We're going to make these guys, and uh, this is more of a a, a different. Uh, topic for a different day, but we're going to call some deacons, and these deacons are going to be servants of the church. And one of the first deacons, uh, one of the first servants of the church is this man named Stephen. Uh, and so uh, looking at the, the first verse of chapter 6, we look and we see that um, that he is called to, uh, to be over uh, the daily distribution. So they're taking up food and, and dispersing it daily, um, to people. And so um, they call Brother Stephen, and Stephen, as you read in verse 8, is full of grace and power. And he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So not only was he uh, the servant, but he was also preaching and teaching and, and praying, and things were happening. The Holy Spirit was using him uh, to do amazing things. But if, if you'll notice, um, what happens to Stephen is he gets uh, stoned for his, uh, his faith. In fact, he gets stoned under the, uh, the guidance and the leadership of Saul of Tarsus, who is, uh, as we know him, Paul the Apostle. Uh, and so uh, we see that when this happens, the Holy Spirit is going to do something amazing. Yes. Uh, first, if you read Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, you'll see that uh, see what happens here. But basically what happens uh, is that as they bring Stephen before the courts, as they bring him and cast lots for his clothes and uh, and everything before um, Saul of Tarsus and, and 
and Saul has him killed, um, he looks up and he sees the glory of God and he is obedient even unto death. And he he prays to God that God not take this out on them, uh, but, but that they would understand and they would believe. And so what we see is a man who is faithful unto death. We're going to be talking a lot about trials over the next few episodes. And one of the greatest trials that we see in the Bible is this trial with Stephen. And uh, Stephen is is faithful unto the end. And and that's what we as Christians are called to be. But that leads to something um, important. When Saul has uh, Stephen stoned, when Stephen is is stoned and uh, he is killed, something happens to the early church. And that happens in Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to read that uh, to you here, starting in verse 1. Saul agreed with putting him to death, that being Stephen. Uh, On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all uh, except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men uh, buried Stephen and mourned uh, deeply over him. Saul, however, uh, was uh, ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women to put them in prison. And so what happened here uh, is that because of the, the stoning of Stephen, it almost emboldens Saul as a, as a persecutor, and he goes out even more, and he, he persecutes the early church. And so the early church is being persecuted by Saul, and, and they disperse from, all over, from Jerusalem all over. And so it starts in uh, Judea, which is still Jewish territory, uh, but then it goes into Samaria. And then as we get to, to James, we're seeing the church of Jesus, particularly uh, the the Jewish church, dispersed all over, um, even into the Gentile world. Uh, and so we see here that this church is going uh, under great persecution. Even, even after this, we, we know that James, uh, the b- brother of Jesus, was um, the uh, the pastor or overseer of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's writing this epistle to his fellow and former members, uh, encouraging them in the middle of these in the middle of these trials. Uh, and eventually they're going to go through even more trials. We're going to see that in 70 AD, for example, the temp- the temple is destroyed. Um, and the Roman government is is killing Christians. They're persecuting Christians. They're uh, impelling them on stakes and, and covering them in tar and lighting them on fire. Uh, this is not a good time as far as for physical blessings like the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers like to tell us. This was not a good time to be a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher because nobody would listen to you because nobody was receiving health, wealth, and prosperity. They were receiving trials, and so James is going to tell them, even under trials, count it all joy. How can we do that? Well, we're going to talk about that here uh, in just a a few minutes, but one of the first things that you have to do in order to count it joy uh, is first to understand who you are uh, and also to understand who Jesus is. Now, um, I'm going to read one more verse of Scripture for you, and then... Uh, my brother Christian is going to 
to de- uh, dig a little bit deeper into who we are in Christ. Now, I'm going to to say some good things about who we are in Christ, uh, and what Christian has to say is also a very good thing. Uh, but we have to understand it in its its totality. Uh, I'm going to read First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Now, this is who we are in Jesus. This is who um, James is talking to. Uh, and this is as Peter said, but you are a chosen race. Now this goes back and and ties into all the way back to uh, Genesis uh, in Abraham and more in particular in particular. Uh, we're, we're looking at Exodus chapter 19 with Moses on Sinai. Uh, God is, is calling out a, a chosen race. He's calling out a royal priesthood. So this is what Hebrews calls the, the priesthood of believers, a holy nation. And so anybody who belongs to Christ is a part of a holy nation, a people for his possession. So we're owned by God. We're, we're his people um, so that you may proclaim uh, the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And so we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. But we're that for a reason. That reason is that we might proclaim the goodness and the greatness of our God. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't experience trials, because even as we see back in Exodus, um, and even in the end of Genesis and in Exodus, the people of God have endured trial after trial, but when they're faithful to God, he is faithful to them. And so now I'm going to, to turn it over to you, Brother Christian, and, and let you expound upon this idea of what it is to be a servant of God. So not only are we a chosen people, uh, a royal priesthood, and a, a, a nation after uh, of God's own possession, but we're also servants. What does that mean, brother? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Rob. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I think that's a, a great thing to, to look at as we experience different trials. Uh, but one of the things that I saw as I was reading uh, was the word bondservant there. Uh, as I'm reading in the New King James Version, it might say servant or it might even say slave in yeah. some uh, translations. But first, James gives us his title, the title that we all fall under, actually. Uh, He does not esteem himself as the brother of Christ. He doesn't express that he's a leader amongst the Jewish believers, but he expresses that he is a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're a pastor or leader in any ministry, what we have to understand is that you are first a bondservant. Uh, There's no, I actually tell people quite often when it comes to any leadership position within a ministry, it all starts out as a servant's position. So a pastor isn't the most authoritative person, isn't the biggest bully in a church, but he's supposed to be the biggest servant. When you become a music minister, you are serving God with your voice and serving the congregation by leading them uh, in Psalms. Uh, But so whether you're a pastor or leader in any ministry, you are first a bond servant. And this term comes from the Greek word doulos, which means in the Strong's definition, a slave, literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntarily. Frequently, therefore, in a qualified sense of subjection or subserviency. 
so we, like James, are slaves of Christ. Uh, and a lot of times that word has a lot of negative connotations to it, uh, because when we think of slaves, we think of uh, slavery and unwilling slavery. slavery. But I see a different aspect as we come into this. You see, Paul actually often uses this term to describe himself as well. You see, when we come into this world, we come in this world as a slave unwillingly to sin and willingly at the same time, I think. I think it kind of goes both ways, actually, there. But we put our faith in Jesus, and we become a slave willingly to him. Yeah. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, I believe that Paul talks about this, uh, and, and it really matches up with what James is writing about here concerning being a bondservant. And it uses the same word. So every time you hear the word slaves, it's using the same word doulos here in the Greek. But in verse 17 through 19 of Romans chapter 6, it says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So being slaves to sin seems easy. You do as you please, you follow your own desires, but the consequences are actually eternally condemning. To be a slave to Christ is for him to take the burden of the sin, the law, the death, uh, of uh, which is the consequence of sin. He takes all of those things from you. Uh, and yes, there's changes. That's That's a big thing about it. Uh, There's going to be conviction uh, of the Holy Spirit when you step outside of the will of God. But ultimately, to be a slave of Christ is to truly be set free. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 29, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the faithful will endure trials temporarily in the flesh, but we ultimately find eternal rest in Christ. Amen. The unfaithful will remain dead in their sins. So they may have temporary rest in the flesh. Because if you are of the world, the world will love you and and take care of you and accept you. But if you are not of the world, they will persecute you. They will hate you just as they have hated Jesus. So you might find temporary rest uh, outside of Christ in this world. But what you will eventually bear is the full weight of your sin before the judgment seat of Christ. And here, the worst words that I think could ever be uttered, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And from that point forward, you proceed to eternal condemnation, separated from a loving God and creator who desperately wanted a relationship with you, yet you denied him. But furthermore, I think this this letter is addressed uh, to, we see the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. And I think Brother Rob uh, really presented that 
nicely and, and talked about that. It's a, a very widely debated topic. Um, does it mean that if your heritage is not of Hebrew descent, this letter does not apply to you? I, I don't think it means that. Uh, though we don't know the full extent of the dispersion of the children of Israel, uh, we know that even if you were not Hebrew uh, or Jewish, uh, uh, the faithful Gentile can call Abraham their spiritual father. That's right. Uh, Romans chapter 4, 16 through 18, Paul writes, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to the grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who are of the law, which would be the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. You see, Gentile Christians are connected to Hebrews, not necessarily by heritage, not necessarily by blood, but by faith, which is a stronger connection, I believe, than blood. I always tell people that the strongest family you have will always be your spiritual church family. And what a blessing it is when your blood relatives are a part of that family. But the strongest connection... There is, is the spiritual connection, the brotherhood and sisterhood we find in Christ. So there are many Hebrews by blood that are not Hebrews or Jews by faith. The only saving blood is the blood of Christ, which is applied to all who believe. Uh, And so when it comes down to it, first we see James say he's a bond servant. He doesn't esteem himself higher than he ought to. He doesn't think more highly of himself than he ought to, but realizes his position in the church is a servant's position. Even though he's a leader, he is first overall a servant. And that uh, James uh, when when we really look at this, uh, I don't think he's reaching out to just Jewish people, but the church uh, in general, those that are Jews and believers by heritage and faith, and those that are simply Jews spiritually by faith. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could, I, I'll add one thing to that, uh, that bond servant. So for the Jewish person or or somebody that was living and and reading this in their times, uh, this word slave would mean something totally different than what we think of today. So today we think of, uh, you know, 1700, 1800s uh, America where uh, slaves were owned by people. Uh, that they were property and that they were a percentage of a person rather than an actual person. Well, that isn't true of slavery in uh, the Hebrew sense of the word. You see, God um, enabled uh, people to be able to pay off debts uh, by being bond servants. And so what happens is if a person, say uh, Brother Chris or Brother Christian owed me um, some money, 
but he couldn't afford to to pay it off, uh, what he could do is he could become one of my bond servants. And so what that would mean is that uh, he could work for me, um, earning a, a wage until he paid me back um, what he owed me. And so a, a bond servant, yes, it was under the authority of somebody, uh, but it wasn't like that person uh, owned uh, another person. So I, I don't, in today's world, it's so easy to get caught up in our culture and to think of slave and to be totally dismissive uh, of God's word because he mentioned slaves and he, he mm-hmm. calls us slaves. That's not what it's talking about. Yeah. Jesus bought us with a price. Because of that, we can. his price is something we could never repay. And so we right. pay him back by the way we live our lives uh, in, until we die. Now, the, the beauty of, of God's word and the beauty of God's grace is that every so often there would be a year of jubilee. So there was every seven years or uh, every seventh seven years. And so that was be the, the 49th year. Um, there were these years called years of jubilee. And on these years of jubilee, all debts would be forgiven. And, and so even if you were a bondservant uh, for almost seven years and you still hadn't paid off your debt on that seventh year, you were completely debt free and you were no longer a bond servant. The greatness of our God is that he is the Jubilee. And so when we come to him, our debt is forgiven. It's gone. It's paid for. In fact, the the punishment, the, the payment for our debt was Jesus's blood on the cross um, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, Hebrews tells us. Uh, and so that, that blood of Jesus, it paid for us. And so that debt is paid off. However, we choose to live as bond servants mm-hmm. uh, because he deserves it, because he paid the ultimate price that, that we couldn't pay. Uh, and so uh, I have a few things to to connect with maybe culture and to connect with uh, modern day and maybe even throw in a little bit of application. Uh, but before I do that, Brother Christian, do you want to throw anything else in there? Yeah, uh, I, I think what you're talking about with, with being a bond servant, we do, as I said before, have a negative connotation when it comes right. to the term slavery because we understand it in American history. Yeah. Uh, is something extremely negative, something that was really bad Awful. about American history. Uh, but slavery uh, in in the Jewish nations was a lot different. It wasn't uh, an unwillingness in the sense. I mean, you might have been unwilling. You might not have wanted to, to <laughs> right. do that, but you yeah. owed a debt. Uh, and, and I mean, we, we see that actually kind of similar to our, our prison systems today, except, you know, they're prisoners of, of the, the county or prisoners of the right. state, they have wronged or they have owed something in yep. that sense, and they have to pay the time for that. And man, I wish we had never given up that uh, whole seven-year thing. Where, <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, I'm that telling would, you. that'd be so great. Uh, you know, I, I would be going back for my doctorate's degree by now. <laughs> right. And uh, so, but there's so much to look at here. Uh you know, talking about trials and, and, and tribulations and and being a servant of, of Christ, a bond servant of Christ. Yeah. And there's been this lie, I think, in the American culture that 
I actually believed for a, a while as a younger child that first and foremost, that if I were to put my faith in Jesus, that what would happen in return was that he was going to wipe away all of my problems. I was right. uh, suffering from many things as a, as a younger man, as a, as a child and, and teenager, uh, things like depression and, and yeah. uh, going through a lot of different things at home. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm putting my faith in you, God. I know it might not just be a snap, but hey, years down the road, I'm I'm still following you. I'm I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I'm showing up to church. I'm I'm being faithful to you. I th- I thought the promise was that you were going to come in and wipe away all of my problems. And it took me a while as a young man to realize that this whole idea that I put my faith in Jesus and He takes away my worldly problems was wrong because Jesus is more focused on the spiritual right. than the fleshly side of things. And so what he wanted to deliver me from was the biggest problem of all was, right. was my sin. That was the biggest form of oppression in my life. That was really what was bringing me down. And when I finally got to that understanding, I found that I had joy through the trials that God wasn't necessarily going to just wipe away my trials, but he was going to stand beside me in my trials and and help me forward in my trials. And that gave me joy. Uh, That gave me uh, peace. And then another thing that was a curveball to me going into the ministry, I had grown up and I'd seen a lot of different pastors, most of them on TV, uh, that would present themselves as like this outstanding public figure and that they had all this authority and things of that nature. And I'm not saying that a pastor doesn't have any authority within the church. God uh, provides uh, young men and women to go in different ministry positions and gives them a level of authority over his flock uh, concerning whatever position they go in. But, you know, concerning the the man's position as, as the pastor, Uh, I always thought, you know, you get up on stage and everyone looks at you and they have to listen to you. If they disagree with you, you know, you know, be gone with them. Uh, That's what I saw kind of growing up. And I'm not saying that there's a certain pastor in my life that that represented that. But I saw that on TV and it was kind of presented kind of in the narrative of conversations that we would have in in churches and then the more I read the word of God, the more I experienced that. And as I went into the ministry myself, and I know that you've probably experienced this as well, brother. Yeah, absolutely. That it's not about being top dog right, in the church, but it's about being the biggest servant in the church. If you're in a position that people think is the highest position of the church, which would be wrong because the highest position of the church is the head of the church, which is Christ. Everything falls under the head. Everything, every position serves the head of the church, which is Christ. And really the pastor is called to serve Christ by serving the church. And then I found, man, you know, that, that servant's position, that bond servant to Christ is leading me to be a servant to other people, not a boss. So that I thought that was uh, uh, an interesting thing as I grew up and and had all these misconceptions about what it meant to go into ministry. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and to keep on with the idea of contemporary application, uh, so you're, you're exactly right. As pastors and leaders, and uh, hopefully some of you guys that are listening are pastors and leaders, and uh, you'll be able to not only to gain from this content, but maybe even send us a message, uh, you know, as Chris, Brother Christian said just a, a little bit ago, and uh, pointing out something you'd like us to talk about more, or something maybe we left out. But um, we can learn that from this, that as pastors and leaders, we are to be the lead servants of the church. Um, going on uh, into more contemporary application, whether it be um, what's going on um, in America or, or what's going on, um, especially uh, talking about current events um, in, in Ukraine, you know, the, the church is still being persecuted all over the world. Yeah. Uh, we saw it with COVID where um, the liquor stores and the grocery stores uh, and, and the cigarette shops uh, were all open and they were all essential. Uh, but when it came to church, church wasn't essential. And so uh, they were shut down all over uh, different parts of America, uh, places like Canada. Uh, there was a pastor that was oh, yeah, imprisoned was <laughs> uh, because he wouldn't stop having church. Uh, mm -hmm. There were um, uh, churches in America uh, that were sued uh, by local governments for not shutting down. And um, then we look at, at what's happening in Ukraine and, and the church, along with everybody else, is being persecuted and being uh, sought out by the, the Russian uh, army right now. And, and, and many are dying. Uh, but nonetheless, if, if you pay close attention to what happens in the middle of those trials. The faithful believers stand up. The faithful believers show out. So for example, um, I don't believe uh, exactly like him on all theology, but for example, uh, John MacArthur, uh, his church stood up against the current, against uh, the government there in uh, California, and they continued having church and uh, it wasn't even the John MacArthur's decision. He said, I'm not closing church, but if you guys want to stay home, stay home. Uh, the, the people just came. Uh, they didn't stop coming. They kept coming. And when the government tried to sue them and tried to fight them in court, they stood up for God's principles and God's word that says, do not forsake the gathering. And they were able to continue uh, gathering and they were faithful. And we've seen great things come from that. Right. Um, also, uh, looking at Ukraine, uh, I want to read from an article on, on Fox News. Now, this is not an endorsement of Fox News. This is not a channel where we uh, get into anything political. This is just, uh, I looked up an article, I found it in Fox News and wanted to share this with you. So this is not an endorsement, just a, a current event uh, that I want to share with you. In Ukraine right now, as, as well as Russia, there's an association of 40 ch churches in the, on the eastern side, 27 of which are in Ukraine and 13 of which are on the Russian side. They're working together to provide food, winter clothes, blankets, and medicine in areas where the fighting is most intense. And, and so what's happening is that the church, even while it's being persecuted, is standing up and su supplying much-needed um, equipment and much-needed medications and, and much-needed clothing for the people who need it the most. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so what happens in the middle of, of trials and troubles? 
for the faithful, and that's what we want to be. We want to live 168 hours of every week faithful to God. How do we do that? Is even in the middle of trials, just like John MacArthur's church and just like these churches in Ukraine and Russia, we do that by even while we're in trials being faithful. Because just as Brother Christian said, it, it's not that we won't have trials right now, but it's that if we endure the trials of today, we have a promise of a tomorrow where he is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, that we will be with him forever. We will be his people and he will be our God and we will walk with him and talk with him in perfect peace forevermore. And so the contemporary application of this uh, is that we are slaves of Jesus Christ. And that means come hell or high water, we're going to serve him. That means if, if it's nice outside, or if it's if it's nasty outside, we're going to come and worship Jesus. And I'm not necessarily saying that as a physical thing, that no matter what, you have to be at church. But no matter what you do, worship and serve God. Amen. Brother Chris, do you want to close us out? Yeah. Thank you all so much for, for joining us uh, at Faith 168. Uh, if you have any questions or maybe any comments that you want to share with us, please message us. Uh, we we want to be able to connect with you, our listeners. But thank you for joining us today. God bless you. We love you. And let's just go ahead and end the best way we can in a word of prayer. So if you will, let's pray together today. Father, I thank you so much for just being such an awesome God yes. that it's not a hard thing for us to call ourselves bond servants to you, yes. that you've taken this yoke of of sin, this yoke of death that was burdensome, that was heavy on our backs, and you gave us your yoke, which is easy, which brings us peace, which brings us joy in you, especially overall eternal life in you. Uh, so we thank you so much, Father, for being a good, good father to us. Yes. Uh, and I just thank you for my brother, Rob. I thank you for each and every listener that is out there. Help us to be a blessing to them. Help us to uh, reach out to them and, and preach your word uh, yes. and discuss uh, how you would have us uh, act and react to situations in this world with them. Uh, and I just thank you so much for all of the provisions and blessings you have given yes. us in our life. We love you, Father. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith 168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.